Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you another great podcast. No Straight Path, hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde, is brought to you by the HubSpot Network. By shedding light on the stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles, No Straight Path aims to humanize success from the millennial perspective. Featuring guests from all walks of life, No Straight Path aims to inspire conversations around the nuanced perspective of success. An episode you might want to check out is Building Safer, More Equitable Workplaces with Lexi B. In it, Alexandria Butler, otherwise known as Lexi B, shares how professional theater classes prepared her to tap dance for the masses, despite being introverted by nature. And she also shares the unexpected introduction she had to the tech industry. Listen to No Straight Path wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Akome. So let's get started. Before we jump right into today's episode, we have a quick word from Comcast Rise. This episode is brought to you by Comcast Rise. Check out our latest documentary, The Road to Rise, as we follow the lives of four small business owners all on a journey to achieve big dreams. We stop in four different cities to see how underrepresented entrepreneurs find success through the hype and the hustle. This is a documentary you don't want to miss. Because when small businesses succeed, we all do. To watch now, visit ComcastRise.com or say Comcast Rise into your Xfinity voice remote. Keep rising. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, I have an update episode with Jocelyn Delk Adams. Now, Jocelyn was one of my favorite guests back in 2017 because she is just so genuine and shares so much and is also so inspirational. I'll be sure to link her first episode in the show notes. Now, if you don't know Jocelyn, she is the founder, author, national television personality, and brand ambassador behind the award-winning cookbook, Grand Baby Cakes, and the food website, grandbabycakes.com which gives her families, particularly her grandmothers, cherished generational recipes, her modern spin, while preserving their original charm and spirit. In addition to being a regular on the Today Show and Good Morning America, Jocelyn is a Food Network host and a judge on Disney Channel and Disney Plus's Magic Bake Off. Jocelyn also has a line of cakes exclusively from Williams-Sonoma that ship across the country. She gave a TED Talk in 2017 about brand authenticity and has been a top brand ambassador and writer for several top brands, including Coca-Cola, Pillsbury, State Farm, and so many more. Jocelyn's first cookbook, Grand Baby Cakes, was released in September 2015, and her next book, Everyday Grand, will be released this March. And in today's episode, she shares what's changed in her business since we last chatted in 2017, how she lives and thrives doing what she loves, how she makes money in her business as a blogger turned author and national television personality, plus her advice for aspiring bloggers and content creators to grow their own businesses. And she drops some golden tips on how to go from everyday content creator to television star like herself, plus so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So let's get right into it. All right. 
Jocelyn. Welcome, welcome back to the guest chair. Thank you so much for coming back all these years later. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. We were just talking about how much has changed. It's crazy. So much has changed. So, you know, as I was telling everyone in your intro, you came on the show back in 2017, the early days of Side Hustle Pro, and it's going to be six years. What? I know. So much has changed for you too. Yeah, so much has changed for me. I went full-time. I'm a full-time podcaster now. At the time I was side hustling and I was trying to get all the, gleam all the knowledge from you. Like, how do I do this? What are your revenue streams? (laughs) And now you're killing it. Now you're yeah. doing it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And thank you for being an inspiration. Going back and listening to your episode, I was really re-inspired as well. So what are some of the biggest things that you would say have changed in your business since 2017? Oh my gosh. So I think at that time, I, my blog was still, you know, very crucial to my business. It still yes. is. It still is like the number one um, you know, money maker for me. Oh, is which it? People okay. wouldn't, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I was, I'm going to ask you about yeah, that. The blog, the blog, it's still the, the anchor of my business. Um, so I still treat it with, you know, the utmost respect, continuing oh, to share um, recipes weekly, um, sponsorships, brand deals. The, that's still a, a very large part of my business. At the time, I think I was starting to really dabble into that and get my feet wet. And now it's a huge part of my business. Mm. Um, since then, since our first interview, I also um, dabbled into licensing. I have my own brand of cakes that ship across the country Ooh. with Williams Sonoma. <laughs> so like licensing is a big part of my business. And then at that time, I think when we were interviewing, because I wanted to be very fresh and authentic. So I purposely did not like go back and listen. Right. So I wouldn't color any of this interview. I was doing television more locally. Like now I'm a regular on today's show, a regular on Good Morning America. Also I'm a co-host of the show Stab That Cake on the Cooking Channel and Discovery Plus. I I mean, it's really, things have just really like taken off for me. And like I, like my first book had come out at that time. And now my second book is about to come out. And I really Mm. purposely took a long time till I felt re-inspired to write another cookbook. Okay. We're going to (laughs) get into all of those individually, all of those spaces, no, because I'm truly inspired, you know, and I am someone also who it's like this, this is going to be a Nikayla asking you how to do it. (laughs) It's a view like I'm like I want to know how to do that. But first, for those who haven't gone back yet and listened to that episode, just give us a really quick summary of that initial career path you were on when you started your blog. I know you had a history in television production and all of that, but at the time that you started the blog, I believe you had just either you were at Ebony or you had just left Ebony Magazine. Like, tell us a little bit about Ebony Magazine. You are so right about that. I was there at working. I was actually, ironically, in the licensing department. Ah. (laughs) Um, Look at life. Yeah, look at life, right? So I was in licensing and then I also was working in television and film. And then I shifted from working... for like I was at the time I was doing the block kind of simultaneously. So I was working full time, but then I would come home and then work on the block like all hours of the night. So it was a crazy struggle for balance in the beginning. But then once I was offered a book deal, this at this point I was at um, Chicago Urban League for literally only four months. 
Yeah. I literally was there for four <laughs> months. That is it. And because I jumped around a lot, I was really trying to just find what I really wanted to do. And I received two emails from two literary agents within a week wow. asking me if I wanted to write a book. And I was like, I think this means I should write a book. Yeah. So I went into the office, spoke with... um my manager, my boss was like, yeah, I've noticed that you haven't been all the way here. Like, you need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let me, let me think about it for a while. He was like, yeah, take some time, take a few weeks. I literally came in the next day with my letter of resignation. He was like, what? I thought you take some time. You know, but like, it, you know, when you know, you know, you know, right? Yep. When you know, you know, when you feel it. Um, when you get that tingle, that gut yeah. reaction, you just kind of have to follow it. And how long had you been blogging at that point? Um, about a year and a half, maybe two Okay, max. Hadn't been that long at all. What year was that? <laughs> so that was about 11 years ago at this point? Yeah. What are we, so 2023? Like 11, we're, um, yeah. we're almost 11 years into Grandbaby Cakes. And then, so that may have been about eight years ago. So uh-huh. I've been full-time blogging for eight years. And yeah, what made you even want to start the blog? And do you think that yeah. it's worth it if if someone is interested in food, baking, is it still worth it to start a blog today? Hmm, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> I hope I have the right response. Okay, I have for to that break too. those two up. Right, right. Yeah. Let's start with what made you want to start blogging? Well, actually I wasn't I, I wasn't very familiar with blogging because like if you go back eleven years, like blogging was not at all what it is now, like where everyone recognizes that term, they understand what a blog is. People are like, what's a blog? Like when I would even (laughs) discuss it with them, because at that time, even food blogs were very new. They were sort of like these very basic websites. Like, you know, when I, like when I first started, I was taking photos with my phone, like it was not that deep. Right. And, you know, no one thought it was a career option because like bloggers weren't making a ton of money. Like AdSense was the option in terms of like, you know, you know, having some revenue stream from it, but it wasn't something where you could think, okay, this could actually replace my full time income. And I didn't think it it at the time. So it was more just a hobby. I loved um, baking. I was baking cakes for people based on my grandmother's recipes, my big mama. And I was just inspired to share those recipes. I would sometimes just post photos on Facebook and then people would be like, oh, what's the, that looks amazing. What's the recipe? And then a friend was like, you need to start a blog. And I was like, like most people, what's a blog? 11 years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And so you just yeah. quickly, you know, you put it together. What, what did you reach out to someone and, you know, on you quickly Etsy, put it up? I, I paid $99. I remember this Ooh, so vividly. I paid not, <laughs> right $99 for a blog template, mm-hmm. you know, on Etsy at the time. And that was what I started my blog with. Nice. Very basic. Yeah. So what was it about what you were doing? What was your secret? to growing your blog so quickly and making it so attractive to sponsors? I think it was really very being very specific about what my audience wanted and also knowing like, you know, authentically what I wanted to share. So I wasn't 
sharing recipes that didn't really speak to me and didn't really speak to what I was trying to hone in on, which was this connection to family and legacy and also generational cooking and baking and sharing those, you know, recipes that were very connected to my family that were passed down, you know, from my grandmother to my mother to me. um, I felt like that was also a story that a lot of people could connect with. And they could relate to because a lot of us have those recipes and a lot of us have those memories around the table with our family that feel very special. And I wanted to sort of share those recipes that reminded people of home. And so that was the basic, you know, I didn't want to do anything outside of that. That's exactly what I was trying to do. Every recipe had to fit within that mold. And once I started to really find my niche, that's when I think I really sort of attracted that audience that fell in love with that concept. Yes, I love that you talk about the audience and how honing in on that helped you to grow really quickly because I know it can be difficult, but once you started to blog, you didn't go into Mm -hmm. it and say, okay, it's for this person. You kind of still had to learn a bit. So once you were doing it, what did you learn about the audience and who you wanted to focus on? Well, I think once we got past the fact that like, it wasn't just my mom reading the blog, like when I actually, (laughs) when I was like, ah, there's like more than like just my mom checking in and like writing a comment, like you go girl, you know, (laughs) just her, just her being like, you know, all into it. Like, this is great. When I started receiving emails from readers um, who were responding to the content and who were saying that they loved the stories and they had a grandmother like my grandmother, or they used to make that same type of pound cake. Or the best ones would be um, when a grandmother would pass away and they didn't get that recipe. And they were Mm -hmm. so grateful that I was able to provide them a recipe. And they're like, this reminds me of Palm. I didn't get that recipe. I'm so grateful to your website for giving me, you know, an opportunity to still have it. And so I think that's when I really realized that this was bigger than just, you know, posting something online. Like we were building community. Yes. And I think that that was, um, that was something that made me feel like, okay, this could be successful. And then things just started to pick up and grow. And I think because I was so authentically like connected to my audience and what I wanted to bring to it Mm -hmm. and they felt that love, I think that brand saw that and connected too. So you leave your job about two years in to write your first book. Uh, (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that process. So you got an advance, right? So that's what was paying your bills for that time. Yes. Did you know what you were going to do after that? Oh, no. Um, I am one of those fly by the seat of my pants type of people. (laughs) This is probably not the best advice to give um, (laughs) because, you know, we are so taught that like, you know, you we're taught that you should have a certain amount saved, that you should be, you know, pretty responsible when you become an adult. And I had like a mortgage And I was like, peace, you know, and that was probably not the best way to tackle it. But I knew my hustle was was pretty crazy. I knew that if I was going to depend on anyone, like I knew I could stake the claim on me. Like I knew that I would go in, I would give it my all. And I also felt like I could find another job. Um, if I needed to. So um, I had like a very small advance at the time. Like I think my advance was like 
$10,000, right? Okay. And um, what most people don't know about the publishing world is that like you don't get that $10,000 up front. There's lots of things that come like during the process. So, and this is very similar with my my new book is that you sign a contract, but that can take like a month or two after you actually settle on the deal. So you're saying, yes, I want to write the book. Then it goes through the legal channels and that takes a long, long time. And then you, once you've signed all the paperwork, it also goes through your literary agent, which I had. So she took her percentage before I even got my percentage. And you still don't even get that. Like you may get like Mm. 30% up front. Then you get another percentage when your manuscript is turned in. And then you get another percentage when your book actually hits shelves. So just imagine how quickly 10K went down to like zilch. Like 10K was like nothing. It was like negative numbers. You know, by the time you start adding in grocery bills for testing recipes, Mm. um, props, um, you know, assistance on my shoots, like it was gone. It was gone. And that's something I didn't think about, too, with books, because this is not just your book. You're writing your life story. You actually have to Mm -hmm. make sure these recipes hit, that this can work for the average person who's not, you know, a big time chef. Oh, Lord, they will tell you. They will tell you (laughs) if they don't hit. Okay, they will tell you. And then what is the process once you release the book? You know, what was your expectation? Did you know it would do well? Did you hold your breath and were worried about how it would sell? How did that go? Um, I held my breath for sure. I'm, I'm holding my breath for the next book too. I, I think that's part of it is you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, you have something to say and that's why you write it. You're inspired and you feel like you have a message you want to convey or you have something creative you want to share with the world. And that's why you write a book, right? Mm-hmm. And then you give it your all and you, and you put it out there in every place imaginable. And then you hope people connect with it. And so that's what I did. And they, they did, they did connect with it. But I think at the time, like I was very unsure, you know, what exactly would happen with the book and what the outcome would be. So when did the television appearances and the regular commentator roles start to pick up? That actually started to pick up with the book. So um, I always tell people that, you know, there's so much more to just writing a book and, you know, it, if it does well, it can also introduce you to another audience. It can also introduce you to opportunities because you're getting a lot of press, you know, you're getting a lot of promotion that's built into a book when it comes out. And so, you know, like you're going to have your book everywhere. Like for instance, I was just on local news before I wrote my book and then by the time my book came out, I was on the Today Show. I was on Rachel Ray Show. I was, you know, sharing the book everywhere. I'd gotten my first um, segment on Food Network. Like all of these things had happened really because of the book. So the book really led to more opportunities. What became your revenue streams at this point? So when we spoke last time, you know, we talked about the blog, obviously. We talked about yeah. sponsors, sponsorships, affiliate campaigns. But now that you are on this whirlwind from the book, what were the new revenue streams that came in as a result? Yeah. So um, so I was also making royalties. So that's okay. what happens when you sell out on your advance. And yeah, so the book was doing really well. So I was actually starting to make money from the book. So it was an investment that really paid off for me. 
Okay. Um, then I was getting more brand deals. Then I was getting some paid television work. Um, I was, I worked on some shows as a judge for, um, baking competition shows. And so I was doing that. And then, um, let's see what else. Yeah. So those were the, and then the blog also picked up more traffic. Like as a result, I really think that the book sort of opened the door for other opportunities and everything's sort of kind of traded on one another and really amplified the, uh, you know, the effect of each other. So the book opened doors in television and then television opened doors in more brand deals and then more brand deals, you know, opened doors for other things. And so I think everything was sort of paying back on the other thing. And you know what I noticed about you, Jocelyn? Like you are very good at investing in the quality of your videos, your photos. And so there are times when, you know, you'll go. So your YouTube page is its own show, right? You have your own, <laughs> you know, kind of today's show on your own YouTube yeah. channel. And I'm like, who's filming this? Does she have a whole crew? Is she paying a whole staff? <laughs> I do. It's like a lot of people that yeah. are making grandbaby cakes, you know, spin, I guess you could say. So, you know, I've got um, a manager and okay. um, a television agent. I've got a publicist. And then just even on the production side, um, I have a food stylist and assistant. Um, ah. I, yeah. And then I have um, a shoot coordinator, um, which you actually worked with or, or interviewed Miko. Miko. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So she works, she, cause I'm in Dallas now. And so okay. she works on a lot of my shoots that I have here. Okay. Um, I have someone who works in marketing for me, I have someone, um, assistant. I have an assistant. I have someone who helps with writing. I have someone who helps with testing recipes. Okay. Like, and then I also have photographers. So okay. it's it's a huge, massive huge. team of people. Yeah, it's like a huge, like you know, it's so funny when people are like, "Girl, can you bake me a cake and ship it to me?" <laughs> Hey, you know, I don't know where they think I got this time from. No, there are many people who are building this sort of brand that I think yeah. people just do not. And I actually think it's kind of funny because I, I do feel like at least they feel like I'm still personable and yes. they don't see all the working hands. They just see me and it still feels right. like, oh, you know, oh, it's still Jocelyn. And, right. and, and I like You're that. You're still someone you know? I can reach out to. It's, exactly. And it's like, oh. There's a whole yeah. lot going around back here. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea, like, um, yeah. you had such a big team because, but I could tell, right? I could tell by the production <laughs> yes. quality when yeah. I look at those and YouTube videos. Yeah, uh-huh. and editors, yeah, right. all of that. Because how important is it for you to, when you're not doing a segment somewhere else, for people to be able to come to your brand and say, oh, this Mm -hmm. is like, this is the full package. She already does production. She does TV level work on her own channel. Absolutely. And I think that has offered me opportunities with brands where usually a lot of times, like, and this was mostly before COVID, they would fly me places to do commercial work or, you know, be in their studios. And now a lot of brands will trust me and I can have my team on site to do things and they will just maybe fly in a representative from their brand just to kind of oversee things. And then they're like, oh, you're good. This is great. Your, Your team is incredible. And then we just move on ahead. As it relates to the work that you're doing with these companies, how much of this is proactive outreach these days? Or do you get so much incoming requests that you don't even have to do that? 
Um, yeah, it's actually so much incoming that we don't necessarily, we don't reach out anymore, which I feel really blessed to say. Yes, that's um, such a blessing. Yeah, yeah, that we, we really do receive, um, you know, so many inquiries to work with us. And, and I say us because it is grandbaby cases really just mm-hmm. bigger than me at yeah. this point that, you know, that's, that's exactly like we're not pitching anymore. We haven't been pitching for a while. Nice. And I asked that because, you know, as a fellow creative entrepreneur, there is a, some level of wanting to do projections each year that, you know, you have a team. You have yeah. to know, OK, these people are on salary and every month that check is going <laughs> to that check is going right. to clear. So right. yeah. when you know you'll be working with brands, but, you know, you don't mm-hmm. necessarily know all of them. How do you predict that? Like, are some of your campaigns recurring, like annual? Are you going to re-up by this date? And if not? then let me just make sure I look into something else? Well, I think what happens is, um, you know, there's ebbs and flows with my industry. Mm -hmm. So because um, I'm able to sort of have my hand like in a bunch of buckets. So for instance, the blog is pretty stable, right? Okay. That's that's in terms of knowing, okay, this amount of traffic will elicit this amount that I can make, you know, monthly. Okay. And okay. so that stays pretty steady. Of course, there are some things that change, RPMs, all that sort of stuff, change with um, advertising money. But in general, that is the one thing that I find to be like the most consistent Really? Oh, good. Yeah. And then with the with the brand space, it's a little different because you really just don't know. Like you're kind of out here like. But I will say this for at least the last four years, I've had to turn down work. Wow. And because I get so much work. Mm -hmm. And so that is it has been pretty consistent. Like my revenue has grown every year, even since then. So even this year, I think I'm still going to continue to grow past what I had last year. So let's talk about the blog for a bit because I still don't really know this world, right? And especially because so much has changed, but yet for you telling me about that consistency, you know, my mind is a little bit blown by that. Okay, tell me a little bit more about why, how your blog is so successful and how you can rely on it to be so consistent revenue-wise for you? Well, I think it's because, um, one, I have a lot of content, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the food space, like you need to have um, a lot of content, a lot of recipes um, that will become really sort of one resource that a lot of people can come to. So for instance, I've built enough recipes that someone can come to my website for basically anything within my space, right? So if they're like, okay, I want to make an entire Thanksgiving meal, like every recipe that you would need is at my resources, everything you would need. Oh, I want this drink. And it sort of takes you on that journey to where You know, if you if you have this, I'm looking for the turkey, I'm looking for the dressing, I'm looking for the cornbread, I'm looking for the greens, I'm looking, you know, everything is available there with more to spare. Um, Everything that you're thinking, and then it goes from every single aspect from spices, spice blends to beverages to desserts, which is initially what I started in, but I expanded into savory as well. So having a website source with about, I think I have about over 700 recipes 
is part of it. And then also making sure that those recipes are very like on point. So making sure those recipes are on point, easy to understand and consistent. So the quality is high, the photographs provided give you a lot of information and then also the recipes work and people love them. And so once you have someone who tries the recipe and they love it, they come back. Mm-hmm. They even sometimes refer someone else. And so then that's how you continue to build your audience. And then of course I do SEO as well, um, mm-hmm. search engine optimization. And so that's very important for what I'm doing too, for people who may not know the Grand Baby Cakes brand, but yes. they're looking for a specific recipe. So um, if you so type you in like collard SEO? greens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you type in collard greens, right mm-hmm. on Google right now, the first recipe that comes up is Grand Baby Cakes. That's mm-hmm. a massive like a massive um, key term, right? Oh, Keyword yeah. term, a search that people have like monthly. So I'm getting a large bulk of that traffic because my recipe is number one. Mm-hmm. And so it really comes down to just making sure that you are writing your posts and your content for the reader mm-hmm. and giving them the best information you know how. And then Google looks at all of these posts and they make a decision on what they think will work best and what really sort of gives the most comprehensive um, look into that subject. And so that's what we're basically trying to do. We're trying to tell Google, hey, my resource <laughs> is the best. My yes, collard greens yes. are the best for anyone who's looking for collard greens. <laughs> this is the post that they should go to. And so we're writing with that in mind. And as far as the actual monetary side, is it the AdSense, so they're actually still ads within your site, or is it a combination of the affiliate links and that? Well, I work with Mediavine, um, Mediavine. which is my, okay. yeah, so Mediavine, and um, there's another um, advertising company, um, Ad Thrive, and those two are really like the most competitive mm-hmm. uh, in terms of providing um, advertising for bloggers. And I think you have to have over 50,000 sessions mm-hmm. a month um, before you can be considered for them to, okay. to um, take you on. But they host all of my ads on my website. And then as far as affiliate links, is that a big part of your business these days, too, within your blog posts? Or is it more so? Um, you know what? I don't really lean as much on affiliates. Like I've done it in the past and and it is definitely helpful, but it isn't the bulk of like, I would say the ads for sure, the bigger, the bigger money maker for me. All right, y'all, it's time to get out of spreadsheets. If you're still using spreadsheets to keep track of things, let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. With HubSpot CRM, get real-time data at your fingertips so your teams stay in sync across the customer journey. Track your contacts and your customers, send personalized emails in bulk, and get the contacts you need to create amazing experiences for your teams and your customers at scale all from one powerful platform. It's why more than 150,000 companies already use HubSpot CRM to run their business better. Plus, HubSpot's user-friendly interface sets you up for success from day one, so you can spend less time managing software and more time on what matters, your customers. There's no better time to get organized. Get started for free at HubSpot.com today. And, you know, 
I'm asking all these questions and it seems super targeted, but you know, that's because we've, we've caught up before. And so, you know, yeah, you're, if, yeah. if you want to get more of the background story, of course, I'm going to link to Jocelyn's first interview, but I know that so many people listening, there, there are multiple interests at hand. There are those who Absolutely. love cooking, love baking, and there are those who love blogging, sharing their life, whether it's, you know, more in the social media realm these days and less on the blog side. So I'm trying to get a sense and hopefully trying to give you guys a sense listening of how to make it work in 2023. How do yes. you make it and work? And it is hard. And yeah. I think you had a, um, a question earlier that I yes. forgot to answer. Let's go back right? to that. Is it worth it to start a blog in 2023? Ooh, it is. That is such a hard. So I'll put it like this. It is so much harder than it was when I started um, because there are so many people. It's very saturated now. The market is very saturated. And then on top of the fact that you sort of have to play catch up, you have to build a library with hundreds and hundreds of recipes very quickly to even start playing this game and for Google to even, you know, validate your website, which would mean that it would start telling people, okay, yeah, go to this, go to this page. The reason why older bloggers you'll see are still continuing to come up like in the search results pretty high up is because they built that authority with Google um, that, you know, it's kind of like, are you going to trust grandma for wisdom? Or are you going to trust the two-year-old, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you you sort of know someone who has skin in the game, you trust their website, and that's why Google tends to favor them when it comes to rankings. So I think that that is something, if you can get beyond that, and if you're really passionate about it, and you want to spend time building, this is before you start making money, it's the building game, building your library then I think it's something to explore. I mean, AI is going to change a lot of what we do. Mm. So you just, you know, there's so many things to think about that, you know, I consider and talk to fellow bloggers about all the time. So we don't know what the industry is going to be in even two, three, four years. You're so right. You're so right (laughs) about that. And I love that you talk about the building phase. You conveyed it so well because it's so hard to help people understand that sometimes like, yes, there can be a big payoff in the future, but in in certain industries, blogging, podcasting, there's a building phase. And if you can get through the building phase, okay, (laughs) rewards await, but you have to want to build. You have to want to build like you, this is not you know, you do not instantaneously win in this game. Like you just don't. Like this is not the career for you if you're like, I want to be a millionaire next year. <laughs> I mean, awesome. I yeah. love it for you. And I'm <laughs> never going to tell you that the dream ain't there, but it takes a lot to build up to that. And, yes. you know, it's just so many things. You have to play the game. You have to play the game. So would you recommend side hustling and blogging and while you're doing the building? Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's what I did. So absolutely. You know, something else I'm also curious about is especially in this space of sharing recipes. How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your recipes, your family's recipes, right? Mm -hmm. It's great that you're sharing. And, you know, I love the fact that people then 
look to you as someone who has guided them. But sometimes they forget and they start passing that down <laughs> as their own family oh, recipe. Sometimes a whole lot of these people forget. I'm <laughs> telling you, it's so funny. I had this conversation literally with someone else yesterday where I was telling them how many times I get emails from people who will say, girl, you know, I made I made your... um." Your 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 chest pie or whatever uh-huh. for Thanksgiving, and I've been making it every year for three years. And people ask me for the recipe, and I'd be like, "Nope, that's a family recipe." <laughs> and I'd be like, "That ain't your family <laughs> recipe. That's my family, you know." And I, you know, I hear that all the time. Or I will hear people like, "I entered your um, cake in this in this cake contest, and girl, I won. I won five hundred dollars." <laughs> or are they sharing my recipes in their bed? You know, they're like, oh, that's yeah. one of my top, my top selling cakes. And I'm like, well, are you going to send me a cut? Like, you, right, know, right. you know, but abs- but this is literally the business. I had to come to terms with letting it go because it's very hard to copyright recipes. Like you can copyright the style of writing a recipe, but people can take your ingredients all day long, the ratios of your ingredients all day long, and then just be like, this is mine. And yeah. they do. Yep. You know, there's a lot of people who steal not only recipes, but even images. It's it's crazy. So I had to really sort of let go of some of that because it is very annoying because I work really hard and you right. don't want someone to just take, you know, your hard work and just yes. run off and then not even give you like no, no, no props or anything, right? Like not even some word of mouth to your family. <laughs> but I, kinda, I have to remind you, I'd be like, it would really be great if you could, you know, when someone says like, wow, like those greens are awesome if you could point them in my direction because yeah. that's how I'm able to continue to share recipes with yes. you. I always wondered how that <laughs> felt and how you deal with that. And I'm, I'm so glad you touched on it. Yeah, it's a, and, yeah. I mean, it's relatable across industries. Anytime you're yeah. sharing with the world, you're putting things out there. Oh, you can't yeah. control what happens, but you have to just trust that what is coming to you is going to be worth it and worth this process of sharing. Abs- um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you feel about now that social media has ramped up and entered the chat uh, even way more than it was in 2017? (laughs) Like now we have TikTok. And, you know, I feel like when you share a cooking video on TikTok, it goes bananas. So as content creators, a lot of people want to go straight to social now, even though, you know, those channels could be hacked, disappear at any time. How do you feel about balancing the energy of putting content on social versus also putting it on a blog? Like, how do you feel that people should go about that? Um, I feel that the blog is the thing that I personally own and have more control over than social media. I mean, I know a lot of us have spent so much time building up our audiences on social media for algorithms to change. And now our engagement is dropping, you know, in a second. And you're not even reaching the people that you spent years trying to, you know, get to follow you. So you're not, they're not even seeing your posts. They're not even seeing your content like they could be seeing it because of the algorithm shifts. And so it just always reminds me that, yes, social is very important. It's very important to the to um, making sure that people can see my content is very, very important. 
but it is not the most important thing, especially for my blog. It's not. Um, mm. So I do put as much effort as I can into it, but the blog still remains most important for me and my newsletter. So you are more focused on making sure people can find your website, come to your website, mm. because, you know, social, the big promise was and is still that, oh, it will drive people to your website, it, but having mm. to just fight <laughs> to yeah, be seen all this fight to takes be away seen. at a bunch of people who will see it. Absolutely. And I was, you know, I was having a conversation with someone, actually, I think this is today, earlier today, where we were saying that we were just scrolling down Instagram and like random posts were popping up, things yes. from like December. Yeah, and, suggested posts. You know, yeah, suggested, and you're not even seeing content that someone is creating like right in this instant. Mm -hmm. And you think about all the people that you follow, right? That yeah. you actually took the time to say, oh, this content really resonates with me. Right. I want to follow this person. And you don't even see their content. Yeah, yeah. It's such a balance. And I, I think if anything, I want you guys to take away from this is focusing on building a solid core foundation with yeah. a blog or a podcast. And of course, you're going to need to put energy into social, but, you know, think about how you can set up times to do that and then be done with that because you can't let social stress you or take up all your time because you literally cannot control it. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't you just control can't. it. Before we jump into the lightning round, Jocelyn, now yeah. now I need some, you know, mentor to mentee chat about the world of commentator life and stepping into television, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, how do you, you know, and how can anyone, right? Let's say they have a really great blog, but they just feel like the world needs to know about it, but they don't know about it. They don't have a publicist. They don't have a TV agent. They want yeah. to do some more regular commentator work. What advice would you give to them and us and me? <laughs> yeah, and you. So, so what I, what I think was um, great for me was that I was willing to start like locally. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I was like interested in sort of getting into television, I yeah. started reaching out to all of my local networks. I was like, Fox, like ABC. I was like, I started actually pitching them myself. I would like write up pitches after watching some of the previous segments that they had. And I would say, oh, you know, this segment, um, I want to do something similar to this, but this is my spin. This is my take. And I started also following and reaching out to people on LinkedIn, producers on LinkedIn. I, I was hungry, right? Yep. And I, uh, you know, got someone that wrote back to me and gave me a segment and I was on time. I was, you know, perfectly polished. Like I had reviewed it. Like I'd gone over the segment like a million times. And the key is you want them to ask you back. Yes. You want to build relationships. And so I think at Fox News in Chicago, I probably did close to like 30 segments, 30 segments. And what people don't understand about like food segments on local television is you literally have to bring everything. So I would like spend the day before packing up all of my food. I'd have everything set up, like all of my, you know, bowls and like pans, everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'd have to make the recipe in different segments. So like all the sort of stuff that everyone sees me do on today's show and Good Morning America now, mm -hmm. they do all of that. I show up and I just, you know, I do my segment. 
local television, <laughs> you do all of that. Okay. You do all of that. So I would have to make all of that food, make all of the different steps, have everything ready to go. Then I'd get maybe 20 minutes in the studio to set up everything. Yeah. And then you'd go through the process. It, it was, it was probably 48 to like, you know, 72 hours worth of work. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, just to, just to do like three, four minute segment on wow. local news. But in your, in your way, you wouldn't have to do that because you don't have food, which is great. Yes. Yes. Lord knows no, <laughs> nobody wants me to be doing a cooking segment. <laughs> girl, you like, come on now. Come on now. Come on, you can make a real. cocktail, girl. You can make a cocktail. <laughs> but did those local segments then help you to land the national segments? Absolutely. Because I've gotten so comfortable doing television that when it was time for the big leagues, it was nothing for me. Mm. You know, I was I was more than prepared. And I, I also find that like I had some friends who, you know, randomly were able to get like their first segment ever on TV on like today's show, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that's a big freaking deal. That's what right? happened to me, but I haven't done anything but see, since. But that's what I'm saying. Like a lot yeah. of them haven't done anything since. And I don't yes, know what, yes. what it says about that, but I think pitching and continuing yes. to pitch and yep. continuing to do television, even exercising locally. Exercising that muscle. Yes. Exercising the muscle. You're so like, right. I do television I'm do that. everywhere. Like I mm-hmm. even just recently did local television um, in Dallas because I just moved to the area and I was like, I want to, you know, get to know the producers in the area because I don't feel like, you know, anything's too small. I want to continue yeah. to build an audience wherever I am. So smart. I thank you for that advice. And I, Absolutely. so you guys, you see how I, I try to get my little mentee advice. Yeah. <laughs> still, Absolutely. I'm still Local side television. hustling. And yes. then it also keeps your reel and your segment frequent. Because then yeah. you can, like, if you do, you're like, okay, I want to pitch today's show again. Like, you can show them something that you recently did. Like, oh, yes. I just did this last week. Uh, you know, yes. you're continuing to share all the stuff that's current that you're really building on. And then they're like, oh, okay, she's still doing TV. This is great. Awesome. Let's book her. Noted, noted, writing all of this down. And I hope you do guys are too, because TV. this this also applies to things like speaking engagements. Like instead yeah. of being bummed that you you pitched some major conference and you didn't get it, start locally, start with the smaller guys, get those reps in because it'll only make you a better speaker and presenter once you are picked for those bigger conferences. So you, you know, you won't have as many jitters, you'll be more polished, you'll be more yeah. clear. So it, it can only help and support you in the long run. So thank you so much for that advice. And I'll update you guys in my solo episodes. <laughs> Before we jump into the lightning round, what are you excited about right now? What's your vision for Grandbaby Cakes and what do you want to share with us? So um, I would love to share a little bit about my new book, Everyday Grand, uh, which comes out on March 14th. Available for pre-order now, y'all. Go and grab it. It's everywhere. We will link to that. Yes. Every retailer from Target to Walmart to Amazon to Barnes & Noble, basically everywhere you can grab the book. And it really took me a long time to really want to write another book because, you know, I see so many people just churn out books like boom, 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 boom. And I really wanted it to feel like something that I, I felt I needed to say. 
And the book is all about really just finding happiness and joy in every single moment. And a lot of us struggled with that, especially, you know, during COVID, during the beginning of the, you know, pandemic, it was, it was a downer, right? We couldn't Mm -hmm. go anywhere. (laughs) It it was a downer. and And it just made me really focus on the fact that we spend a lot of time really sort of prioritizing bigger holidays and making those special. But every single day of our lives should have that sort of special moment or we should treat it with that sort of respect and that joy. And so I wanted to make a book that really felt celebratory and felt like we could turn any small moment into something special. And it has over 80 new recipes. These recipes are it. You, you said it earlier, yes. like they'll come yeah. for me. No, y'all can come for me. These recipes are <laughs> incredible. Okay. These recipes are absolutely incredible. And so um, I'd love everyone's support if you pre-order. Yes. A lot of people don't realize pre-ordering is major for books nowadays. You know, okay. um, it really actually decides the success of books because, you know, publishers want to see that people are interested in the book. Um, retailers want to see it decides how many books they will order to put in their stores if people are interested okay. in it. So yeah, so pre-orders are really important. So I really appreciate it. We will it. do that. Yeah. We will do you. that for sure. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that. I learned so much about the business, right? The business. Every single time I talk to someone who's writing a book or yeah. written a book, I learned so much. So we'll definitely do that it. pre-order. Yeah. Yes. And I'm excited. Another thing I love about your recipes is they're so easy to follow and they're straightforward, you know, and it feels doable. Sometimes other recipes, you might feel intimidated, but your recipes feel very achievable. It's clear and they, they hit. Thank you so much. So now let's do an updated lightning round. Um, You know the deal already. Just share the first thing that comes to mind. Keep it short and sweet. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I'm so ready. Okay. Number one, um, what is a resource that has helped you or is helping you in your business now that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Um, Chat GTP. Oh my gosh. Like that's the first thing. So, you know, and it's very new, right? So we, Mm -hmm. uh, like I mentioned AI and, and so many people feeling very nervous about that and intimidated by what that's going to do to a lot of our industries. But I think that we would feel more comfortable if we tried to embrace it and see how we can actually utilize it to strengthen our businesses. So I've been spending a lot of time on chat GTP. It has helped me tremendously. It's helped me to streamline blog uh, posts. It's helped me even to write scripts for my um, Instagram reels. Like I write, I do voiceovers and I'm like, Mm -hmm. write me a script for this, you know, potato salad and da-da-da, 30 seconds. And I need it to have this sort of language and be in the voice of grandbaby cakes. And it will write me a script and I can, it moves things along for me. It makes things so much more efficient. So I encourage people to check it out. I need to do this. Of course, I've heard of it and I haven't utilized it as much as I should. Oh, and I'm like, I need a script right now. There's a YouTube you a video I've right been now. putting off doing an over, uh, a voiceover GTP. for. GTP. <laughs> Chat GTP is out here, okay? All right. Yes. Okay, I'm going to yes. do it. Yes. Okay, number two, who mm-hmm. is a non-celebrity Black woman entrepreneur who you would just want to trade places with for a day and why? This woman um, that I recently met, right? She's okay. very local. Her name is Jennifer Stewart. So it's someone that mm-hmm. no one knows at all. 
but she has such an incredible hustle and skill set. Like she makes cinnamon rolls and just her creative space, like in the way she sort of envisions things and how she goes about doing things is really sort of interesting. And I actually love that you say a non-celebrity because I think a lot of times, like we're always like, we want to trade plays with Beyonce. And it's like, that's what people used to say. (laughs) I'm sure they did. It's like, you know, but there are so many women that are um, examples on a smaller Mm -hmm. scale that would actually sort of, you know, give you a different perspective and give you a chance to sort of look outside the box of what you normally do. And even if they're kind of like on a smaller scale that you can learn still so much from them. Oh, yes. Number three, what's a non-negotiable part of your day these days? My bath time, one hour from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., bubble bath and a book. Number four, um, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? The fact that I don't take myself too seriously. I'm very silly. (laughs) It's like keeping myself laughing and just remembering how grateful I am to be doing what I'm doing and realizing that it's just not that. Like, I'm not performing brain surgery. I'm I'm giving you guys cakes. It's fine. Like, do not. Do not take everything so seriously. Just go with the flow and enjoy life. Yes. And then finally, uh, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss one day, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? I think follow your authenticity. So if you want to do something, make sure that like you are staying in the space that feels authentic to you, because I feel like... Mm-hmm all good things sort of move in that direction. So when I said that Grandbaby Cakes was all about, you know, really honoring my family and my roots and my legacy, like that was very authentic to me and it ended up proving successful. I wasn't trying to do something that wasn't a good fit or I wasn't trying to, you know, move the needle against something that just would never work. It was me. I was just being me and it worked. And it can work for you. I love it. So (laughs) where can people connect with you and Grandbaby Cakes after this episode? Sure. They can find me. My website's at grandbaby-cakes.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Pinterest. Everywhere is Grandbaby Cakes. You look it up, you can find me. All right, you guys. And there you have it. Jocelyn, thank you so much for coming back and being in the guest chair. It was so much fun. Yes, it was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to put your advice into practice and keep you updated. All right. Thank you so much. So take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six bullet Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.